0: Now, remain standing for our gospel lesson, which is also our sermon text from John 1. Listen to the gospel of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made. That was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Thus far the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, help us to understand your word. And to know Jesus, the eternal word, better. In Jesus name, amen. Please be seated. I've provided a sermon outline to help you follow along, and I'll let you know when it's time to start looking at the outline. First, I want to give a brief introduction to our new sermon series. Today, we begin our series on the fourth gospel written by John, the son of Zebedee. The gospel of John is not written by John the Baptist. It was written by the Apostle John, the brother of James. The Apostle John was Jesus' closest companion. John never identifies himself in the gospel by name, but he does refer to himself five times as the one whom Jesus loved or the disciple whom Jesus loved. John was Christ's most beloved disciple and friend. John is the one who is resting On Jesus during the last supper and so John's gospel is not just any old eyewitness account. It is the testimony of the person who was really the closest to Jesus. The testimony of the disciple whom Jesus loved. But you see John's gospel is not. It's trustworthy. Not primarily because the disciple whom Jesus loved. Wrote it. No, John's gospel is trustworthy because it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Recall what Jesus promised his disciples in this gospel in John 14, verse 26. He tells them the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and he will bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So John's gospel is true. It's reliable, it's trustworthy, because the Holy Spirit caused John to remember accurately the important events and teachings of Jesus. John's gospel is God-breathed, inspired by the Spirit. Why did John write this gospel? Well, we don't have to guess why. At the end of chapter 20... John tells us exactly why he wrote it. John 20, 30 and 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, in this gospel. Verse 31. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that in believing you may have life in his name. That's John's purpose. John's goal as we study this book, his goal for us is twofold. John wants us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the long awaited king, the son of God. But even this serves a larger purpose. Ultimately, John wants us to have eternal life, which comes by believing on the name of this Jesus Christ, by believing that Jesus is the son of God. For those who do not believe in Christ, John wants you to stop trusting in yourself and begin trusting in Jesus as your savior and your king. Acknowledge him as the son of God. But John writes mainly for the church, for believers, for those of us who believe in Christ. John wants us to remain in Jesus, to abide in Christ, as he says in John 15. So as we study the inspired words that John wrote down, John wants our faith to grow. And he wants Jesus to become bigger. Every time you study the Bible seriously, and each time you study John's gospel in particular... You should come away with the sense that Christ is a little bigger than he was before. It's just like Lucy's experience with Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia. At at one place in Prince Caspian, Lucy is gazing into Aslan's face and she says, Aslan, you're bigger. Aslan responds, this is because you are older, little one. And then Aslan goes on to explain, I'm not bigger, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. So my prayer is that as we work through the riches and the wonders of John's gospel every week, we will grow, we will believe more, we will experience eternal life more abundantly, and we will keep finding Christ bigger and bigger. Now John is one of four gospels. John is unique from the first three gospels in how it begin a lot of ways, but in how it begins. Mark begins his gospel with the baptism of Jesus at the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry. Matthew goes back further than Mark. Matthew opens his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus going all the way back to Abraham. Luke goes back further still. Chapter 3, Luke's genealogy goes all the way back to the first man, Adam. But John, he goes back the furthest of all. He takes us back as far as we can go. John begins his gospel right on the cusp of eternity and time. He begins at the absolute beginning, at that mysterious and mystifying point where timeless eternity and the beginning of time meet. It's as far back as our minds can take us. Our finite minds cannot go back into infinity very well. And when we go back to that point and we peer into timeless eternity, who do we find there existing in eternity past? We find the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Who is the Word? Well, that's the question in the first point of your outline. Who is the Word? Now, the most important thing we can say about the word is something we'll be talking about next week the word is the one who became flesh became man and lived among us the more, most important thing to know about the word is that he is the god man who lived and suffered and died on a cross and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven where he is now The word is the resurrected Christ, the king of glory, who forgives the sins of his people. That's the most important thing to know about the word in John's gospel. But today we're focusing on the first five verses of John's gospel. And these opening verses take us back to the time before the word took on flesh. Before he became God-man. In verses 1 to 3, John gives us four identity markers of the word. First, John tells us that the word is eternal. Second, the word is a person. Third, the word is God. Fourth, the word is the creator of everything that's been made. So number one, John says that the word is eternal. In the beginning was. The phrase in the beginning is the biblical way of saying before time and space were created or to borrow other biblical terminology before there was there ever was an earth in Proverbs eight or before the foundations of the world. Ephesians one. John is not saying that the word only existed from the beginning. The word did not just exist from. From the beginning or ever since the beginning. No, John is saying that the word already existed. He already was in the beginning. At the very beginning point of time and space and matter. The word already was. And he had been being forever. In the Bible, the phrase in the beginning Refers to that which lies beyond the first point in time. It refers to timeless eternity that exists just on the other side of the initial point of creation in Genesis 1. one. In the beginning takes us back to eternity past. Back to the point where nothing existed except God. And John says that there. The word always was. In the beginning was the word in the beginning. The word was already existing eternally. The verb was here signifies ongoing existence in this context in John 1 1 was signifies ongoing existence outside of time. Ongoing existence before the world began. The ongoing existence of the word during eternity. The word has existed, you see, not just for all time, but for all eternity. One of the most infamous false teachers in all of church history was a man named Arius. Arius lived during the last part of the third century, the first part of the fourth century, Few hundred years after Christ. And Arius taught that Jesus was not eternal, that the Word was not fully God. Those who followed Arius, his teachings, were called Arians, and the heresy is known as Arianism. It is the belief that the Son of God was created at some point in time by the Father. And the Arians had a catchy little jingle it would go around saying maybe even singing there was a time when the son was not there was a time when the son of god was not in existence and this heresy this false teaching became very popular during the fourth century it threatened to sweep away the entire church at least from a human perspective and so god raised up a man he raised up athanasius athanasius is famous for fighting against arianism tooth and nail athanasius he was really against the world he faced persecution as he fought for the truth in the in the minority but he stood his ground and he argued from the scriptures that jesus christ is god of god Light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance, one being, one essence, with the Father. That's an important, critical confession that we make about Jesus. Athanasius successfully refuted Arianism. Eventually, he had help from others he defended the biblical truth that the son has existed forever. There never was a time when the son of God was not, Athanasius said. The word always has been. He always was. Athanasius is one of the most important figures, heroes in the Christian church. He raised, the Lord raised him up at just the right time when much of the church was being deceived into thinking that Jesus was created. Not eternal. Now while it's important. Critical. Vital. Crucial. To believe and confess that Jesus Christ is eternal. We have to admit. That the human mind does not have enough capacity or categories to really understand eternity. We can't really imagine what it was like when there was nothing except God, before God created time and space and matter. When we try to think about nothing, what happens? Try it. You're thinking about vast darkness, right? Which is something. Dark space is something. It's not nothing. We, we can't think about nothing very well. When we talk about timeless eternity, we are forced to use time references We say things like, before time. But you see, the word before is a time reference. So it doesn't totally make sense to say before time. John is communicating truths to us that the human mind has a very difficult time getting its arms around. One writer put it well when he said the force of what John is saying is so staggering that the words, his words, John words almost seem to bend under the weight they are made to bear End quote. Human words cannot fully bear the weight of describing the eternal word. At least not without bending a little bit. So, number one, the word is eternal. Number two, the word is a person. In the phrase, the word was with God, the preposition with signifies a personal relationship with God the Father. In the phrase, the word was with God, the preposition preposition, with, in Greek it's pros, as I put in your outline, it signifies a personal relationship with God the Father. When John says the word was with God, he's saying that the eternal word was and always has been with God, the father. The Greek actually says the God, the word was with the God. The New Testament authors refer to when they refer to the God, they're talking about God, the father. So John is saying in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, the father. With is very important here. We need to understand this preposition. The word was with God. With is a translation of the Greek preposition pros. Pros is an interesting word here. Now, usually pros does not mean with. Very seldom does it mean with. It usually gets translated to or toward. In fact, there's only one situation in which it means with. Cross means with only when it is describing a personal relationship. That's what we see in the New Testament. And so the word was with God means the word was in a personal relationship with God. That's the connotation. John could have used another Greek preposition that simply means with. But instead, he uses pros, which indicates an intimate personal relationship between the word and God, the father. So, number two, the word is a person who has a relationship with God, the father. If we put one and two together, we see that the word is an eternal person in relationship with God, the father. That brings us to number three on your outline. The Word is God. Look at the end of verse 1. And the Word was God. John could not have said it more plainly or more simply and more straightforwardly. John carefully phrases this too. He makes it clear that the eternal Word is not the same person as God the Father. The Word and God the Father are. Are not the same person. John also makes it clear. That the word of God. That the word and God the father. Are not two separate gods. The word and the father are the same God. They share the same divine. Substance. Essence. Being. Godness. And yet they are two distinct. Different persons. They're one and yet two at the same time. And so the eternal word is not God, the father, the eternal word is not God, the Holy Spirit. Who is the eternal word? He is God, the son, father, son and Holy Spirit are three distinct persons, but they are one and the same God, not three gods, one God, not one person, but three persons. John one one is the go to verse for the doctrine of the Trinity. Because John says very clearly that the word was with God. And then the word was God. What do we do with those two? He's with God. And he was God. How can the word be God and be with God? God at the same time. How do we make sense of this? Well, we must understand that there is one God who exists in more than one person. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, same God, but different persons. John doesn't mention the Holy Spirit in this context. That will come later. It will show up later. But we know from the rest of Scripture that the Holy Spirit is also God. He is also eternal and personal in personal relationship with the Father and the Son for eternity. And We could paraphrase John 1, 1 this way. It's a paraphrase, not a translation. Just to help us understand what's going on. In the beginning was the Son. And the Son was with God the Father. And the Son himself was God. Now, of course, the words that the Holy Spirit inspired are even better. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. What a theologically rich sentence. So far, we've seen that the word is eternal. The word is a person. He's personal. And the word is God. Number four, the word is the creator of all things. That's what John says in verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. This is the verse that makes Arianism impossible. Remember the Arian said that Jesus is not eternal. He's not God. Arianism still exists today. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they taught and teach that the word was created by the Father. There was a time when the Son was not. He was created. But verse 3 completely Overturns this. Verse three says that the Word created everything that has ever been created. Everything that falls under the heading created was created by the eternal word. When things start being made in time, in Genesis one one, the word was already there. The first thing Ever to be made was made by the word. John even says it twice. To drive home the point. Says in two different ways. No no wriggle room here. Everything was made by him. And apart from him. Nothing was made that was made. So when a modern day Aryan knocks on your door. Modern day Aryans are Jehovah's Witnesses. well as muslims when you find yourself talking to a modern day Aryan, they're trying to prove from the scriptures that's what they do they try to prove from the scriptures that the father created the son that son is not eternal but created just camp out on john 1 verse 3 there are other things that you could say from this passage that, that make it clear but just camp out on john 1 3 You don't have to know Greek. The English is just as clear as the Greek. It says that everything that has ever been created was created by the word. Everything in the things made by God category was made by the word. So if you put the word in the things made by God category, then you have the word making himself, which of course makes no sense. Verse three is clear. The word is not among the created things. He is the creator. He was not made. He is the maker of all things. He belongs to the uncreated God category. When nothing existed except God, the word was there. The very first thing that was made was made by the word, by Jesus. Well, we've made it through the first verses and we've seen that john starts off his gospel with the deepest and the most basic truths about reality john goes straight to ultimate reality so do you fancy yourself a philosopher are you a truth seeker are you trying to get down to the bottom of reality? Do you want to know what's really real about the universe? And sink your teeth into John 1, 1 to 3. It doesn't get any truer, any more profound than this. The philosophy books cannot rival the words that God inspired in the first three verses of John's gospel. But John's most important insights into ultimate reality are the truths that he teaches us here about Jesus Christ. That's the focus. John saves us from the trouble he went through. During Jesus' three-year ministry, John did not really know who Jesus was. He was his best friend, but... He didn't know Jesus at a basic level. Before the death and the resurrection of Jesus, John was not aware of the truths that he writes in the first three verses of his gospel. John and the rest of the disciples thought Jesus was a mere man. They did not understand yet that he was eternal, that he was the eternal personal creator, God. They realized all of this after the resurrection, the power of Christ's resurrection, the power of the spirit opened their minds to these truths. So John saves us the trouble of going through what he went through right off the bat in his gospel. He tells us the most fundamental things about who Jesus Christ is. There's no suspense. He's not building up to anything. He just comes right out And says it. He wants us to know. Who we will be reading about. In this gospel. He wants you. To know. Who. Your savior is. He wants you to know that. The one who loved you before the foundations of the world. The one who. Suffered and died. For your sins on a cross. The one who walks with you. The one who prays for you, even now, is the God who made you. From the very beginning of his gospel, John gives you reasons to believe and worship and adore Jesus. Christ is not just a man, he's God in the flesh. He is the eternal Son of God, the creator of all things. So, do you want to know? About God? Do you want to know who He is and what He is like and how He thinks and what He has said? Do you want to know what He has to say about you? Then meditate on John. John's gospel is about the eternal Word become flesh. It's about the God man, it's about God. It's about the God who made you and then died for you and then adopted you as His child. Saving you from sin. As we study John. I want Christ to become bigger. To us. I want us to become increasingly aware that Jesus. Is the object of our worship. When we gather together like this each Sunday. We gather around the God man Jesus Christ. When we bow our knees in confession. As the scriptures call us to do, we are kneeling before the Lord Jesus, who is our maker. Jesus is worthy of your worship. He deserves your praise. He is your creator and your savior and your king. The right response is to fall down on your knees, to fall down on your face even before him. When the disciples told Thomas that they had seen the resurrected Jesus. Thomas didn't believe them, did he? He says in John 20, verse 25, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. When Jesus finally appeared to Thomas, Jesus said, Go ahead, Thomas, put your finger here where you want to. Wanted to put it and look at my hands, touch my side. Thomas, don't be unbelieving, but believe, Jesus says to him. And do you remember Thomas's response? Thomas didn't just respond by believing in Jesus. He bursts out in a confession of faith. John 20, 28 says, and Thomas answered and said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Do you hear how personal that is for Thomas, my Lord, my God. Is Jesus your Lord and your God? I'm not asking whether you're baptized, I'm not asking whether, you know, the right answers to all the questions. I'm asking whether, you know, Christ as your Lord and your God? Is the eternal, personal word personal to you? Do you know him or do you just know about him? Does he awe you the way he awed Thomas or John? Do the first three verses of John's gospel drive you, compel you to worship And adoration. Do the works and the words of Jesus Christ. Compel you to confess him. As your creator Lord. And God. Does the good news. Make you glad. Another way of asking it is this. Is your heart full of. Life and light. The life and light of Jesus. Or is your heart overrun. By the darkness. Verse 4 says that in Jesus are life and light for mankind. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The Word has given His life and His light to or for mankind. For the sake of men what are you doing with it the eternal word is the creator of physical life and physical light that's what we read about in genesis 1 he spoke physical light into existence on the first day of creation driving out the darkness that covered the face of the deep remember that later on in creation week he breathed physical life into the animals and to man. But in John's Gospel, that's there, but, but in John's Gospel, the focus is on the Word as creator of spiritual life and spiritual light. Whether people know it or not, the life and the light that every person needs are in the eternal Word. That's what the text says in the Word, in Him. Is life. And that life was the light of men. Real life. And light. Flow out of the eternal word. The life and the light that you need. Is Jesus. Verse 5 goes on to say. The light shines in the darkness. And yet. The darkness has not understood it. Not comprehended it. Not mastered it. Not got its arms around it. Certainly not overtaken it. All those ideas are packed into this one word. John's gospel, darkness, does not just refer to the absence of light. Darkness also refers to the presence of evil. The point of verse 5 is that the light of the word invades the darkness. There's really nothing the darkness can do about it. Even though the darkness resists, it puts up a fight, it pushes back. In the end, the resistance of the darkness is futile. It fails to overcome the light, doesn't even understand it, doesn't know what to do with it. The light continues shining. The light continues to drive out strongholds of darkness day by day, year by year, century by century. The light of the word invades the darkness. And the light is ultimately victorious. In the end, and even now, the light wins. And it is winning. This is the story of Christianity. The story of the church. The last 2,000 years of history. Ever since the cross of Christ, God has been shining the light of the gospel into the dark places and into the dark hearts. The darkness fights back. But it always fails to understand. What the light is up to. And the light keeps. Marching forth. In triumph. Conquering. The nations. With the gospel of the word. The light will continue to invade. The darkness until the end of the age. And then in the new Jerusalem. The eternal light of Jesus Christ will shine so bright that it will light up the entire creation. Revelation twenty one twenty three says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb, Jesus, the Word. But. Part of the good news is that this eternal light, this eternal lamp, has broken into the here and now. It's not just a future reality. The eternal life and the eternal light are available to you now because Jesus Christ is available to you now, so if you're resisting the light, stop, let the light flood all the dark corners of your heart. I'll close by reading again. First, John one, five to seven. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Let's pray together. Thank you, God. The father. For sending your son. The eternal word. Thank you, Jesus. For invading the darkness, for invading our hearts. Please continue to do so by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.